Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. I've added this note to the beginning of my most recent and highest downloaded episodes to let you know of a few changes and hopefully avoid any confusion for you as listeners. You will hear me call the show Life After Business as well as reference various ventures I've been a part of over the years. When I started the show, I originally named it Life After Business because I was on a mission to learn everything I wish I would have known before we sold our family business back in 2014. And after 200 episodes and Tons of information that I've learned. I finally decided to change the name to better reflect me, the content, and the guests. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is business owners and entrepreneurs who were the happiest and most successful, in my mind, didn't focus only on sucking all the cash out of the company, and they knew the business was going to eventually continue on without them at some point in time. They literally knew exactly what they wanted from their business long term and why. They intentionally focused on building a valuable company so they could have the freedom of choices to do what they wanted from the business. So they focused on strategies that would grow value long term and give them the freedom to choose. You can learn more about the name change, my major lessons, and our definition of intentional growth in episode 200. Enjoy the episode that you're listening to right now, and thanks for being a listener. Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast that helps you understand how to increase the value of your business, what your company is worth, and what your exit options are. Host Ryan Tansom and his guests give you all the information you need to get clarity and control over your business and take pride in a valuable company that gives you freedom and choices to exit on your terms. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. We are hitting episode 173 and today's guest name is John Thielen, also known as JT. I am so excited for this episode because if you're listening in and you own a company and you're trying to figure out how to handle conversations with your second in command, align their objectives with your eventual growth and exit plan, or you're trying to figure out how to hire that person, what qualities you should be looking for and what good looks like, this absolutely is a must listen to because JT's on the show today to share his entire story about how he used to work in corporate America and his skill sets were growing and scaling companies, how his insane discipline and mental models allowed him to help grow a company that was doing $4 million in revenue up to $10 million in revenue and then help sell it for 11 times EBITDA. And JT shares the ins and outs of what it's like as the second in command. Essentially, he was running the entire company when they sold. He was the president and he was the true integrator, as the EOS model puts it. He shares how him and his owner met, how his owner Steve had conversations. They had 11 meetings, how they got on the same page, the three different things that they did to get on the same page, how when JT started, they aligned his comp plan to profits and revenue and how that perfect combination allowed JT to take the company from $4 million in sales up to $10 million in sales and then selling it for 11 times EBITDA all within five and a half years. He took his mental models and his discipline and scaled the KPIs across the organization, put true systems that allowed them to just blow the roof off of the sales and the scalability of their business. And he explains what it's like inside the head of that person that's doing all that work, growing and selling a business for someone else. He also shares what the process was like, hiring the investment banker, looking at all the deals, who he sold to, and really what you should be thinking about as an owner, as it relates to your second in command. Because I think that this is one of the biggest pieces 
of the puzzle that can completely sabotage someone's growth and exit plan. Because if you have someone like JT, if you have someone that is literally your person that you can't lose and your linchpin, how are you lining their incentives in order to get you to your goal? How do you handle the conversations of, hey, I think I might sell in the next one, three, five years. How are you going to compensate them? And making sure that you have the empathy to understand that it's emotional to be that person that is doing a lot of real hard work for someone else to get a huge check and how to make that a non-issue because everybody's on the same page and then you're going to battle together through open, honest conversations and transparency. Seriously, this is one of my favorite episodes because it's a conversation that needs to happen between the integrator and the visionary and as it relates to the growth and sale of the business and who's getting what and how do you get on the same page and you're going to learn a lot from JT's experience. If you want to know more about how to put your own plan in place, how to figure out what your growth and exit look like, check out one of our boot camps. It's based on our five principles. So the first one, you'll figure out what is important to you and why is your legacy, community, whatever is important to you. You stack that on top of the second principle of your financial targets. What's your company worth today? Net after debt and taxes. What's your target annual income and your target net worth at closing? And how do you then stack that on top of your exit options between private equity, ESOPs, third-party strategic sales, family transitions. And then when you understand where you're trying to go and why, you start focusing on value creation, which is what JT did amazing. Instead of focusing on annual income, optimize for enhancing the value and the multiple of your business that gives you freedom and choices to hit your exit options and your drivers and your financial targets. Then you wrap that all together with your team of advisors to optimize that plan. Check it out. It's two days. It's five grand. And it's also half off for anybody that you want to bring, whether it's your partner or if it's your CFO or family. We had at the last boot camp, we had multiple groups that everybody got on the same page in the boot camp and it was an absolute blast. So if you have questions, reach out to me at rtansom at arcona.io. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. However you want to get in touch with me, I'm happy to walk you through the curriculum and the agenda. And with that being said, Please tune in to this amazing episode with JT. Sponsored by Arcona's Growth and Exit Boot Camps. Two days jam-packed with material on the five growth and exit principles and the world of mergers and acquisitions. You'll walk away knowing exactly what steps to take to get your target valuation and your best exit option. Two days at Arcona's Boot Camp will give you the clarity to control the rest of your journey as an entrepreneur. Happy Friday, JT. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks. I'm excited to have you on the show. For the context of the listeners, I was sitting down at um, one of the local entrepreneur networking events. Actually, we saw an economist speak that I had uh, interviewed probably about a year ago or so. You and I started talking and then I, you know, it was the energy, your story. Then you had twins and you like to work out and you like to have beers. And I was like, huh, <laughs> I, think, I think we check All a lot of them. <laughs> All that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, uh, no lies there. So the, but, but you told me your story and I was like super excited to, to be on the show because you come at this, uh, the, the growth and the sale of a company from a completely different perspective from, you know, being the key manager and the executive on the deal, working with the owner. And uh, so, you know, here we are. And so maybe for the listeners that aren't familiar with you and your background, um, you know, what, where'd you start off? How did you get into business? Okay. So again, my name is John Thielen. Everybody calls me JT, but uh, my background as primarily sales and business development and managing teams to achieve um, a shared vision sales growth number. So my background involves four startup companies 
um, and also one SaaS company from the Midwest over to San Diego. So uh, I've been fortunate enough to grow quite a few companies. And um, so I've typically held CRO type positions um, in those companies. And so from as small as like uh, being opened up an office in Minneapolis called CitySearch.com to IranSanDiego.com and created a national network there of uh, city.coms across oh, the country. Cool. And I worked, I worked with AOL on a big project. That was probably my biggest job where they put $350 million into launch um, a platform for hyperlocal news across the country. And we hired a thousand people without anybody knowing it because we didn't want the newspapers and publications and other <laughs> media sources to, to uh, know about it and say how negative it will be. We want to be disruptive. So I was one of the earliest adopters for that. And I ended up um, being promoted and being a publisher, director of sales, managing four states and 60 cities and having uh, about 80, 85 indirect direct reports. But primarily, I, I, um, I'm, I'm a, a revenue driving executive. So in, in, as we kind of go into that, because it's going to probably tie into some of the strategies that worked at in the last uh, business that you're in, but what are the revenue drivers and like what, did, what, what was the makeup of how you would, you know, what, what falls under the chief revenue officer? And the, the reason I'm giving, I'm giving that question some context behind it, JT, is that in our uh, fourth principle, we have what it's called increased value and sales and marketing are two of the top eight value drivers and creating repeatable systems behind them. And so I'm just kind of curious in your, in, your, in your experience in the different uh, uh, ventures that you worked in, what would um, make that up for you? Yeah, so um, just to, to get inside my head, um, there, you know, one is that you dream it, then you demand it, then you execute on it. So let's say you dream of it. So what is your, what do you want to grow something to? And then because you and I are very KPI-focused, Darren Hardy, compound effect type guys, well, okay, that's a dream, but let's back into this number and from the grand, most granular and say, hey, what do we need to do on a weekly monthly, quarterly basis to hit this, we call it BHAG. So what I would have been able to do is digest a number, backtrack into it, and say, what do I need to do every single day and uh, to grow that? So then it comes down to what teams, what must I hire? And, you know, is it inside? Is it outside? And, you know, it is trial and error. But one is just you try to put things in place to grow the product. Mm-hmm. So... That's what I've been able to do, even from this last job that I was able to scale and sell a company. I love how you said that, and you digest the number and you back into it because um, I was interviewing this guy Jack Stack, and he very well articulated the kind of the great became a business. I don't know if you're familiar with his material at all, but you know he says, okay, you start with a strategic plan, what markets, what geographic location, product, service mix, etc. Then you have your sales forecast, and then the financial forecast should reflect your sales forecast and making sure you're making money because <laughs> yeah. growth consumes capital. So how do you, you know, how do you determine like what, what was the process of digesting that number? Was it like a revenue number? Was it a profit number? What was kind of the, the key metrics that you're measuring? Yeah, it, it, it typically varies because the businesses I've been in is that MRR number and monthly recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. So it could vary from, okay, I get a sale, but cash in the door is another conversation. So sales and revenue in the door are completely like cousins, right? (laughs) (laughs) One cousin you like more than the other, right? (laughs) So 
right? So um, I would, in the last company I was at, we broke down uh, that number down to uh, gross sales as a KPI. And then we broke down to uh, our leadership KPI was how much recurring revenue is coming out of that. I ended up having to put initiatives in place to have a fast and effective onboarding campaign to have those come close to matching. But with those other companies, which were, let's call them advertising driven companies, well, you would pay me $500 a month. Well, if I sign you for a year, that's twelve, you know, $6,000. So that was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. And uh, every sale, you know, the business goes up, you know, $500 in revenue and I have six reps doing that, then you could, then it multiplies. It got mm-hmm. a little bit more complicated at my last fast company where we closed business and revenue trails. So let's get, let's, let's get into that. Cause I want to hear that maybe we can get into the, the, the most recent projects and how you did this. So how did you, you're jumping from the publishing and the, the sales publishing and mar- uh, marketing world. How did, so what was the, the journey to, to finding the, the recent gig? Okay. That, that, that's an interesting one. So when uh, we were growing patch through AOL, that that big initiative, Tim Armstrong was the chairman and CEO of AOL. And he was getting a lot of flack uh, out of New York nationwide about what is AOL doing? They don't have deep pockets. Is this run rate profitable? Are they spending too much? And so what happened is the board of AOL started going, well, you got to get this, hit your projections. Well, that was not as visible to us. Even myself who was managing four states and 60 cities. I knew what, the, uh, what we were doing on sales, but what rolled up to New York, we didn't see on a national basis. Mm-hmm. He started mentioning that um, if we, you know, we might have to make, have some error, you know, recalculations. And then one day, now that I look back on it, he was unable to sell the board on continuing. Out of 1,100 people, 936 were laid off one day. Oh my and I was one, including myself. We called into a conference call line and said, hey, well, what's, what's the next plan and initiative? And then it was, um, it was that, that was it. And then AOL ended up selling off the property to, I think it was Hale Global, another private equity group, and sold it off. So I was, I was at a cabin trip with my wife and kids. And I'm like, at that point, my wife has twins in the oven at eight months. <laughs> oh, they were not right? even born yet. Oh, my god! Not gosh. even born yet. And I went, okay, well, that's a... Uh, that's a curveball. And so <laughs> that's a curveball. It's a nice way to put it, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, I actually emailed um, um, Tim Armstrong, the uh, chairman of AOL, that night. And then he was gracious of me to put something together, a package financially and stuff, and severance and healthcare and benefits. And it was fantastic, right? Oh, For that's me. Really cool. But that didn't solve what am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. So, what happened is I started looking around. And uh, there's this lady that came across my network named Debbie Wright, and she's an EOS implementer. And she said, my husband has been looking for a guy like you. And I said, well, what's a guy like me like? Uh, I don't, maybe we should have coffee with him. She goes, we bought a background screening software company for $2 million, small company. And we put in EOS, but we don't have the key integral parts of running it done yet. My Steve Gustin is a visionary who is not accountable. He's has big <laughs> ideas, but everybody, you know, says, yes, we'll do that. But then goes a different direction because he'll wear out and fizzle off. He was kind of a seagull management, come in there and poop on everything and fly away. <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard that one before. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, that, that, I'm going to be stealing that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, you're going to remember that one. So um, <laughs> what happened was I said, you know, I, I'm from, you know, a different uh, business category. I would love to have coffee with him. So we end up having probably 11 meetings Holy at D.B. Bryan's and Edina, just talking about philosophies and how, what I'm like and what, what gets me out of bed and how did I become, you know, um, successful at a, at a young age, you know, I was director of sales at 27 and opened up an office for city search at 25. Right. So I thought, well, I said, really my, what, what triggered it for, for Steve was this, this conversation. I said, I've always been a wild bull. Right. And, um, what I, what, where my career really got focused is when I use discipline, you and I talked about the compound effect. Well, I end up meeting a guy in San Diego that was a decorated Navy SEAL. And he did, this was a guy that was, he was SEAL Team 5 under CIA Delta, only doing capture kill missions. Oh, my gosh. And he, you know, he, and, and he, his background is he got a degree in uh, English at SMU <laughs> and finished up at Oxford, right? And he's a really smart guy. And, and so he did tours in um, uh, Iraq, normally Fallujah, and then it was uh, Africa. And then what happens is after his, his time there, he's not, not he's probably three years younger than I am, he got out and he says, well, I'm going to get my MBA at uh, uh, University of San Diego. And I met him at the gym. Okay? And, he, and we just took, we, our relationship just hit it off. And um, I was enamored by him, A, that he was a Navy SEAL because that's a, the mental discipline on that. It's like, Is insane. I would love, I wish yeah. I was that guy, right? And then how, how he could just hit his goals and accomplish it. So he, gave me this mental discipline. And I started reading steel books a lot that, you know, um, you can accomplish anything if you put it in front of you. Like I, I graduated steels, Buds 235 with Michael Murphy from the lone survivor who that happened. Actually, he passed away that shunned that show. Well, that he graduated with Michael Murphy. He was out of 200 people. It was Brent and him were the 13 that got through. I said, well, how did you do that? Steel? He goes, they're not, you know, my brain was higher level. I thought, well, they're not going to kill me. You know, I guess I could die. But he goes, reality is that I look at it, the end game. And then I say, if I get past today, then check. I'm mm -hmm. stronger than, uh, than they are <laughs> because I, I'm overcoming this. So um, he thought, taught me mental discipline and being accountable and say what you're going to do and do what you're going to say. So that's a little bit of you know, what I've morphed into. So when I start met Steve Gustafson, the CEO and owner, 100% shareholder of the company, he goes, I'm looking for a guy like you and let's just work something out. I need you to be the integrator of the EOS model. Um, I need to help have people held accountable. I need vision. What EOS also lacks, even though it's a great framework of operating your business, it lacks vision and growth sales initiatives and, and swim strategic, lanes to get and strategic planning, right? Yeah. And yeah. like actual strategic planning, like, as in like, how are you going to actually get there? I, it's funny. Cause I was right as we jumped on, I was saying that I just did a presentation to a couple dozen uh, EOS uh, business owners or there were business owners that run an EOS. And then I said, a strategic plan is not going from 10 million to 15 million. Like that's a goal. Right. I mean, like, there, but like, how are you going to actually do it? It's a different story, right? <laughs> like there's different yeah. choices. And, and, and that, even though I, in a way I was like, well, um, I don't, I can't tell you how we're going to do it today, but it does take trial and error and we horse correct. And, and so I, I, I came into this organization, his wife and 
Debbie, Debbie Wright. And Steve was like, I, I want to make this a $10 million company. And I said, well, at the moment, the people who work here don't know what a $10 million company feels like of accountability and process. So let's do it. So um, long story short, um, I ended up, um, you know, success is never a, a elevator, but it, it steps. So we made some uh, moves and we ended up just continually growing the company and between 800000 to a million dollars in revenues per year. And we went from, I got there, the company was doing $4 million in revenues. And again, he bought it for $2 million. At this point, he grew it a little bit. I got there right around $4 million, and I ended up growing at that 800000 to a million or more. So, you know, eight. And you're saying, is that money? Is that, is that monthly you're saying? So you're going from 800000 Monthly 000. recurring yeah. revenue. Yep, yeah, that's MRR, monthly recurring revenue. Um, and then I ended up, uh, once we, I got it down up to, uh, you know, then nine and then, you know, then 10 million and we, um, 20, you know, we got our EBITDA up to 2 million bucks. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, why that's the most important. And so, <laughs> yay, yay! Yeah, someone's, we, we were, you know, so, someone's talking so about the, the important numbers. I love it. Yeah. So here's this, you'll like this, this, this would Steve ingrained in me and i like this too personally and professionally i'm a, I, you know it's not what i make it's what i save so people a lot of people are not like that right i'm i you know i, be, I became a millionaire at my at my age because i save not because what i make that's how i think right you have a million dollars worth of debt and stuff everywhere <laughs> no, no I, I, i'm liquid <laughs> <laughs> so what steve said it's like johnny we're not here to play store we're not here to play store we're here to make money but that's the difference with some companies have the mentality of let's grow top line, top line, top line, but not the bottom line. So um, he also mentioned that there's two truisms in business. Expenses always creep up and revenues creep down. So you got to be uh, diligent on pushing revenues up and pushing expenses down. And so it hit home to me because I was like that in my own household. I went, ah, bingo. Let's not, let's not play store. Let's make money. And by, and, by, and by the way, let's, well, let's financially reward you, JT, on that. I said, um, well, and we, this is what my program was. I'll be honest. It's like I was paid quarterly and, you know, and annually at times on some, some metrics, but the key drivers were profit. So I put a plan together. We agree to it. Some of it's stretched. Some of it's realistic. And on my quarterly bonuses, let's, let's use that as a clean example mm -hmm. for everybody listening here, 75% of my comp was on my ability to hit profit numbers. 25% of my comp was based on my ability to hit revenue numbers. So again, if you put incentive plans to change behavior, well, put, it, put the right behavior in. Right. right, right, right. The behavior we did was profit. Not so much revenue. Okay, so I want I want to keep going. And before we keep going, because this is some meaty good stuff. Because you know, for the listeners who own companies, I'll kind of go back and I want to kind of maybe hit on a couple of the things you spoke on sure. throughout that part of the journey. Is one is that you know the so I'm I'm my making my partner and I read Rocket Fuel because uh, again it's the whole intergenerator visionary. You know, Gina Wickman has been on the show. I've interviewed a bunch of EOS cons, uh, implementers and. So very tried and true to, to our heart, but like, again, I think you said that this is a couple, couple pieces of this is one is that how do you find the you, right? So, I mean, if I had a dollar uh, JT for every single time I said, or someone said, I need to find an integrator, right? Because there, yeah. in, there's an interesting dollar amount um, 
to kind of get some context as, as I'm uh, going to kind of touch on the, some of your points is that when you're able to, to afford, like, as the owner's able to afford you, and then how do you take your comp and how do you tie all this to the ultimate outcome, right? Which is you talking about start with the end in mind. So this Eric, it, it was Eric, your owner, you were saying? So he sounded, oh, Steve, 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 got Steve Gustafson is what you said. So, yeah, so, the, so Steve has very, you know, first of all, he's already decoupled himself from the focusing on annual income optimization to value creation, right? So the just yeah. comments on quit playing store, let's focus on EBITDA. I mean, I was part of Vistage and where everybody's like, I did 20 million in revenue. I'm like, who cares? Did you make any money? What's your EBITDA? You know, so you, so you and I are speaking the same language here about focusing on what's right. So a couple, maybe a couple of comments on how to find someone like you. And then how did you, what was your, what was your package? So that bonus structure, I want to get more into that too. But then how did you get pet? You know, how did, how did that actual um, onboarding go? Was there equity? Did they, was it just cash bonuses? Was it, you know, tied to an ultimate end? And then, so that, that's kind of the first question. Second question was, is the uh, bonus structure, did, did that include, include normalized EBITDA? So I'm curious if like you, if it was just profit or if there was ways to in- increase the value of the company. So, yeah, good point. So yeah, the, uh, that's true. So, um, for all those questions, let me, let me, uh, so, jump yeah, in it was some, a lot. In, in so, uh, so when we, I was fortunate to have, um, an owner named uh, Steve who, you know, he, he had a finance mind. Okay. Right. So he, um, and, uh, he was in the business. He bought this company as let's call it an investor mindset rather than yeah. this is my lifelong dream of running this company. Um, so that, that, that can separate some owners from other owners. A lot. That's a huge big right? difference, right? Right. So, um, he, and so how he found a guy like me was he was looking for somebody that a, he could relate to relate to one and go to battle with, right. And a very transparent person. So you're very transparent. I'm a, I'm an open book. Um, that's served me well because my why, and I was big on my why was, um, a, I like to create value. I like to say I did something. So maybe this comes from being a small town farm boy kid um, that has a twin brother that wants to say, hey, I'm successful. Well, I like to create something. So that bodes well for an owner that says, hey, good. I like to create something too. Let's create something together. <laughs> That's right? awesome. So that made sense. <laughs> and then I, um, I'm big on a shared vision, right? So, okay, now if, if, I, if, if, if an owner said, hey, this is what I want to do and, and the core values align, well, then, you know what? I'm your guy. I like to partner with somebody. My last three jobs I've, I've had, I really connect well with the, my direct reporter and shareholders. So it's kind of, I want to take one step back. It's kind of mm-hmm. like this. My best advice of anybody in college or in the real world is this. Your direct report or boss, find out their one thing is. And so you know where you stand. If you do that one thing, then you know that, um, you guys have a synergy. So um, I did that throughout my career is knowing my boss is one thing. And so then I would do it. But a lot of people have this mentality like, well, these are the five things I'm working on and everything's important. No, what's your boss's most important first? First and foremost, then everything gets trailed down (laughs) and you kick ass, right? (laughs) Right. And so I was big on that. So again, if you have a shared vision, then, um, and we say, let's go do this. So I'm the guy you want in street fight. 
because I'm like, let's do this. I'm I'm all in because I'm that's my personality yeah, yeah. too. I want to go to battle with you right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and, and, then, and then three was you know um, I want to it, matching this core values and then I like creating relationships. So uh, Steve Gustafson, I sold the company on January fourth, and I, I talk to him every week. He calls me every week just to talk, and so you know. Um, I'm, maybe I'm a different guy, but I like to uh, connect with the people I spend my time and work with because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'll, 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 I'll do it for you. I'll give you my all. But, um, and so it, it, it maybe it was unique. Um, I think it's, so, it's, 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 it's the fun part about it too. And like, I think everybody wants that. And then maybe go, go and explain a little bit about the package because I've heard so many times where like the owner gets infatuated with someone with your skill sets potentially. And then they immediately just give equity. Doesn't, doesn't tie it to some ultimate outcome. And then there's a big falling out or something like that. So like, did you yeah. like, was there an equity package or was it, you know, growth, no. growth and equity or some phantom no, stuff? This, this, no, this, you know, the next time around it would be different, but in this situation, this was a thief was a uh, Minnesota S corp, hundred percent shareholder, him and his wife. And so in this, situation when i came in he was very generous on uh salary and he was um and he put and he was i would say even more generous on yearly comp and quarterly comp based on hey if we do what we say we're gonna do uh we're gonna we're all you're gonna make a lot of money and so at that point i was we came in synergy mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. once i was able to grow the company in year two year three we had more of these discussions on Okay, what's the ed- exit end game? And that's where I end up working out a deal at the end to make some money, okay. real money at the cool. end. But cool. uh, but I made a lot of money along the way, which makes sense. I um, think it, not- it's a it's a good point though because like you know to be generous up front because you know I think you know there's a there's a delicate balance of an owner giving equity too fast too soon for without the reward. But then again, if you grow the value of that asset and you grow the cash flow, you can pay through income and cash like you were. With the bonus structures they were tied to to eventually get to where there's a bigger event right because it doesn't happen yeah. unless it happens together so in your bonus exactly so no go ahead so steve was steve was big on that that hey if you can make me more money i'll make you you make more money and so that <laughs> really rang true to me so i thought oh interesting if i can double his income well i'm gonna um i'm gonna ride up that wave as, as well right so i came in you know making you know um you know Steve was big on, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, my side of the street's going to be clean. I'm going to, I'm going to give you, uh, what you're asking. And, um, but we're going to create a plan and vision where you're going to make a lot more and I'll prove that to you. Mm -hmm. And fortunately over the the course of five and a half years, you know, I was making twice as much as I ever made. Right. So it's all worked itself up. Yep. So So in that, in your bonus structure, then JT is the, was there, was it just profit and revenue based? Was there actually any normalized? Because I've worked with different comp plans and then also, you know, the, with the ultimate, you know, end goal. And, if, and again, if Steve is focusing on value creation, which he was in the beginning, a lot of this stuff recalibrates because I see, you know, someone that's not focused on value creation is the focus on how much money they can make, which then would not allow them to hire someone like you to give you the benefit. So the mindset shift, like you said, right off the beginning, right at the, right off the bat, allowed for this whole circumstance to kind of yeah. create. Well, Steve, Steve was smart at the start. He said, I need an integrator. I have an uh, entrepreneur operating system traction you know, um, uh, system. And he goes, I, um, and to, and uh, what I need is the most important piece of that, which is an integrator. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And so he budgeted for that. And then I ran with it, created a financial model saying, hey, 35% um, of the pie will be COGS, 15% will be sales and marketing, 15% will be G&A, and 5% IT. But guess what? 30% goes to the shareholders. So uh, that's uh, so JT, when you build your plan out, take into effect that, that you know, that's a, that's a fact. Um, 25 <laughs> to 30% going back to the shareholders. So yep. I think any owner listening to this, um, or trying to grow their business, it's just, it's gonna. If you're looking for um, a partner to help you build it, it has to make sense, and you, you have to really connect with that individual and have a lot of conversations and about how you both can win. Be mm-hmm. be open and honest about it, mm-hmm. and then it's like then it becomes clear. So, so. That's, no, I, 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 man, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> it's so awesome that you've got such a, a humble view of that too, and in a realistic view. So the, on the one that like the, the note on the the comp plan, I am just curious. Did was there a normalized EBITDA? Because and were you able to control all those models? Because you know, there's a couple of things in comp plans that I see go completely south. One is the comp plan is put together, and then the person actually can't control everything because there's micromanagement, and you're kind of getting dinged left and right. Or the other one is yeah, sure. the other the other piece of that would be is that it's not on like what we call the normalized EBITDA, right? Where it's you know you're you need to be investing in the business. To grow the value of the business. So, how did you balance investing in the business and, and your comp plan? I mean, was there any yeah, discussions? So, good, good question. So, when we well, let's, let's say we put this this uh, budget together, um, and uh, in within the budgets and the cash flow would be the top line revenues that would happen monthly. You know, we were a monthly recurring revenue, so we would have our targets. So, Q one would be we're going to go from six hundred thousand to seven hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand. You know, re- re- top line revenue. So the bottom line where I was paid, let's say on the quarterly side, was on uh, the net net income, net yep. operating income. So um, now not not right down. There's some things below the line that Steve didn't want to penalize me for. Yep. So for example, like my budget said, I'm going to bring in five hundred thousand dollars of uh, uh, net operating income to the business. Well, then that's how we're going to pay you on mm-hmm. of hitting your goal. Mm-hmm. And so then it was just a clean seventy five percent, whatever the number was, can be uh, paid out on profit. And 25% of that will be paid up on revenue. Okay. And that would be your uh, quarterly bonus. For, and then, it would, and then we, we, we just kind of ran with that. Um, there'll be some things. Simple and like, good, though. You, yeah. And it's clean and simple for me to understand. You always want your comp packages to be understandable to your employees. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. I've had so many that I've had, like, I don't, I'll kick butt and I, I have no clue I'm going to be paid on. Right. <laughs> so true, isn't right? it? You need, you know, again, if I'm, you know, it's kind of like if you're going to go into the alley with a street fight, you want to know what you're fighting. Yeah, right? bazooka and, and, or and, knives or what? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that guy is too big. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but um, it's just imperative that you everybody understands how they're going to get paid because that's that's how you're going to get the most out of your individuals and, and, and salespeople too. They will, they will give them their all and then you can help reward and celebrate them along the way. Because it's clean and yeah. simple. So okay. how in okay, let's go into the the growth of this because and may, maybe give some of the metrics all the way up to the sale of of the the revenue and the the profit or whatever the the profit the net operating income or the EBITDA that you're measuring. And so kind of give us the framework or outline of the growth project the, the milestones that you hit, and then what were the strategies that you were putting in place to accomplish? It? Okay, well um. That's a long story, but I'm going to try to simplify it. When I first got there, I had one salesperson who's making a lot of money, but he was the director of sales 
He was the VP of sales, but it was only him. <laughs> and everybody was focused on that one individual. And I wanted to uh, create a sales team. I wanted to create a customer experience team. I wanted to have account management team because if I was able to drive revenues, new sales, net, net, new sales, a second thing I need to do is onboard them the right way. You know, use, use the term of dating. You need to date somebody. You can't one night stand somebody and expect them to stay forever. So if you onboard them and bring them in and take care of them and like, how's everything happening? You're going to, you're going to have a long-term client. So what can I do great on CX? Right. Mm -hmm. So the onboarding and then customer experience and then account management team. So that's some of the internal things I did well there. Um, I did hire some salespeople from the industry and uh, I, Debbie Wright, the EOS implementer, which is his wife, his wife would say, John, you are, you're a master recruiter. You know, you can, we didn't know that about you. Like people like your energies. And so I was able to get people to to leave their bigger jobs to my job. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's because I said, I had this, you know, speak of, Hey, this, 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 let's create something. Let's have the best, uh, best job, last job. That's mm-hmm. how I call it. Best job, last job. Because wouldn't that be amazing if like, you created something and you can brag and, and, but these bigger companies you work with, you don't necessarily have that. So I recruited people from the industry that were bigger than me to join my little company. And what happened was uh, we ended up creating a national sales team. From San, you know, from San Diego to South Carolina to Chicago, and so we are getting nice sales. And so, but over the course of that growth we've had, I found out that my director of sales, which he was a great guy, wasn't the best uh, for our next level. And um, outside national reps for us cost a lot of money. We got we we closed business, but the the revenues trailed so much. We wanted to. Of going a faster close cycle. So I wanted to go into inside sales model. So I thought we can do more growth, more volume, faster by having inside sales reps. So can I, can I interrupt you for a second? Just quick questions. Yeah. I, want to, I want to dive a little bit more into how you built out that sales function and the different roles and, and responsibilities. Maybe because I think we skipped over what was it you were actually selling and how was the product and service actually bought and what was the client, the client actually engaging with you guys for? Okay, so... We were um, selling employment background screening and then res- and then residential background screening to nationwide. But most of our business was just in Minnesota. And my initiatives there were it was we look like a Minnesota company. We look like a small regional Minnesota two three million dollar company. Well, first and foremost, that's going to change. We're going to look like the big guys, you know. Make it to you, fake it, right? Make it to you, make it. So I, well, I, I, we went through a, a brand re-strategy to make us look like we're a national company. And then we started, because anything we sold, what we sold in Minnesota, we can sell in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So what we started doing is selling to those other geographical areas. And then we were able to start take, getting revenues in from other streams across the country. And then, well, by the time I left, uh, well, I sold the company, you know, I think it was, 35, 40% of our revenues came outside of the state. Oh, wow, cool. I, so I, I, my, my dream of being a national company was coming true because I dreamed it, demanded it, and executed on it, right? So it's just a dream if you don't try. Now, there's some failures in there. You know, I started growing the outside sales team, and we, we got to a ceiling where it was not working as well. And it cost a lot of money to bring those types of people in. Um, and then um, 
we brought in a marketing director to create more of a marketing channel to, and we started focusing on small medium businesses and those were highly profitable to us. And we figured that out, out along the way that maybe we should just continue selling these small medium businesses. Yeah, they're not as sexy as a $100,000 account, but um, you sell a $5,000 account, they start right away, they bill right away, and you just do that more often. <laughs> and you make more money potentially too, right? <laughs> and you make more money. And our margins were, you know, 30, 35% versus 20%. Well, and so some of the stuff that like, just to point out what you guys did is like, I mean, so when we look at, so there's a, a system we use to look at like the ways to increase the value of a company. So you go through and say, okay, in the sales and marketing drivers, it's like, are you geographically, you know, can you geographically expand? Are you doing outside sales, inside sales? How are you doing your marketing? So, I mean, you did a lot of that stuff and you, you grew into other people. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I think maybe, do you have any, um, you know, comments about how, like with the salespeople, did you have like a revenue per, like how fast did the salespeople pay for themselves or maybe some metrics that you used to compare like in growth, you know, to grow that sales function and then pivot because the reason for the question, JT, is that, you know, most of the time when we take people through this assessment, strategic planning is very weak. Sales and marketing are not repeatable processes. And then the finances are usually, you know, not adequate. So in the sales and marketing, if someone's got to build out a repeatable process and like, you know, they're looking for, they're going on the digital marketing route or they're going down the sales route. I mean, there's all these different ways to generate revenue. So what were some of the metrics that you did to build that out and then to pivot? And what were you looking at? Okay. So again, from the outside viewers, uh, you know, my businesses may, might be a little bit different than theirs, but what, what I did is just have one, first and foremost, having visibility KPIs on, on um, uh, what you're trying to grow. So um, pay, having a salesperson pay for himself, um, you know, um, one of my leadership KPIs on, on, on the sales side was, you know, what, what is their um, reoccurring revenue? Not sales, but the revenue they're bringing in. And I can, you know, I can analyze that against what I'm paying that individual. And so that, that just tells mm -hmm. a story, a KPI that tells a story. You know, sales uh, growth, you know, that's just, um, I'm just comparing numbers from year over year, mm -hmm. make things simple in my own head. And so, um, again, it's like lifting weights and building muscle. Um, you have to have, you, ha you have to zero in on um, what you're trying to grow and see it year over year and see, you know, how is things changing? So uh, we put those things in, um, you know, I looked at what I'm spending on marketing um, and what the net net is coming out of that. And so you, you're looking at a lot of different, you know, pieces of information and it's kind of like the Jack Welch book. Like, you, you know, not everybody's a finance guy. I wasn't a finance guy, but what does the finances have to tell a story? What's the story telling you? And that's where Steve and I would look at it and go, what's this telling us? Mm -hmm. What's the story telling us? What's the finances telling us? Okay. We found out that national salespeople that were paying 85, 90,000 a year base salaries and then commissions on top of that. Well, their uh, monthly recurring run rate takes a heck of a long time to pay off, <laughs> to pay that salesperson off. Right. But if I had an inside person making 45,000 a year and they're closing higher margin business, well, then now I have more, I have more room to invest in the comp other areas of the company to grow, mm -hmm. i.e. marketing and marketing dollars. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's no easy answer other than those trial and error and seeing trends and what's working and what's not. And then 
course correcting. But you, but you, uh, yeah, I agree with you on that point. But also, what it's proven that you're showing that you had the numbers and accurate information to be able to make those decisions. Because again, you, yeah. you, you can't you can't make those decisions if you don't have that information. Yeah, and so that that's a little bit of EOS to me as well. Like, what's the most important numbers? What's the most important numbers for the leadership team? Then what's the most important numbers that we can track on the sales and marketing team? What's the most important numbers on an operation? And we build KPIs and uh, and we we actually personally built KPIs week over week is our kind of business. Oh, really? Wow. We did week over week, yeah. And green was par, like that's what we want. And yellow was uh, bogey. And red is we can do a lot better. So if you see a sea of red and you got to look at, okay, well, I've seen six to eight weeks of red. Well, you know, it's telling us a story, right? right? And why? And let's dot, deep dive into that. And and by the um, way, I just, I just have to tell the audience that I saw your five-year spreadsheet of your workouts that are built like this too. So it's a, it's a real thing. I'm, I, I can only imagine what you did for a business if you do that for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm the king of compound effect. I live and, live and breathe it, don't I? <laughs> so, Again, that's, the, that's, that's my discipline of how I, how, I, how, I, how I use energy to go one direction. How, right? do, you fo- how do you focus on that stuff? Like, I, like so when, as, as you guys are running, you've got week over week, you're getting the data, like, you know, how, what is the method inside of that they're using to focus and how to actually figure out what, and prioritize the different things that are sitting in front of you? Yeah. You know, I would say I was fortunate. Um, you know, I hope I'm not come across II because I'm only as smart as my team that I brought in, which you become smarter when you, when, because you get the better successes, but my IT director was able to create this, uh, ownership report that I would say, hey, I, I want to, I, I want you to be granular and create, create a line item that tells me this, right? And he would be able to build it. So um, I would know what a guy named David is doing on uh, daily revenues coming in the door based under mm-hmm. his name, right? Mm-hmm. And weekly and monthly. So that helped me be able to go, oh, I can create this situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. let's do this. Mm-hmm. And so I had all these value points that I could build a story off of as you are, are building this machine that's growing significantly and you said you start you started having a conversation with steve about what's the exit and you you built you know you kind of built your package of you started you guys both started talking about the exit explain the conversations you started having and what the ultimate goal is that you guys started solving for and then kind of how that started moving in that direction okay well th- this is it will be unique because um at this point i've, I've been successful at this company now um i'm the president of this company Steve um, is playing. Uh, he's at this point moving away. He's um, moved moved uh, down south, and so um, Steve became really only uh, became a friend, even though he's my my owner of the company because he can't, was more of the board to me. He would come in and chat, "Hey, how things going?" And I would just roll things up high level to him mm-hmm. um, and give him weekly reports and monthly reports. Um, of how things are going, things that I'm working on. So I bet you a lot of owners wish they had a guy to go, hey, <laughs> yeah, I say, man, you're making a lot of people Recap. jealous right now. <laughs> you're making a lot of owners going, how in the well, hire me. I'm, 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 I'm looking for work. <laughs> 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 so, uh, so then um, um, the, the, the business is just making money and it's doing really well. And we found a sweet spot in this SMB marketing channel. Uh, selling, you know, software staff, uh, subscription, you know, screening. And so what Steve came to me one day and said, John, um, I'm thinking about taking some chips off the table. 
and um, I need you to help sell the company. And if it does, we don't get the price we want, then then I go, I just go back down south and hang out and, and take distributions, which is fine too. But uh, um, wrap your head around that, JT, he said, and uh, let's talk. So I was in, on a trip with my wife out in New York, and he ironically was there at the same time with his wife, and we went out to dinner and just talked. And, um, and so I became fully engaged in helping him sell the company. So and, you, like, uh, if, I could, if I could just peel that back just a little bit, JT, is that conversation, conversation I think scares the living shit out of most owners. Because it scared me too. It did scare me too. <laughs> well, I appreciate so, the honesty, man. Because like there, you know, most owners avoid it like the plague, try and like do an end around their number two, like you, because you could potentially hold them over a barrel. You're the, you're the guy. So I'm just, how did you guys deal with that? And then, and I'm curious of the conversations that your guys' families had. Yeah. You know, at the time, um, I wanted to make this much bigger than a $10 million company. I had a great job. Uh, you know, I'm a president of a company and um, I have some great people within it and I didn't want to lose that. And there's a pretty great, great chance I sell the company. I'm not there anymore either. Right. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. there's synergies that take place. So there's the fear of it. And um, I knew that if I did this right, uh, my shareholder would, you know, have exit money of, of retirement. Right. And I still would need something to do. I would, I had a lot of things in my mind personally and professionally i'm going well what's next mm -hmm. for me then but um again i'm just going to go back to maybe it's me i had a shared vision with this my my shareholder my owner and uh i'm gonna take great pride in doing what i'm supposed to do and do it really well and then steve's wife would talk to me about it and i'm like you know i'm just, the fear of you know the fear of breaking up like a relationship it, to me was was big right mm -hmm. like God, you know like we have a, we have a good thing happening and do what we're doing, but I had to get over that because it, it's going that direction anyway. And, um, I had to get on board. And so I spent some time talking with my shareholder about that exit package and making sure that everything's going to work out. And so we did that, or then I started feeling comfortable mentally. Right. So now that owner, uh, got his guy on board and see, I'm sure Steve, you know, he felt my owner that, you know, he needs me to sell the company. Mm -hmm. uh, who else is going to do it? Cause he's now detached and away from the company. And, um, and so, and here's the, here's the big part. Um, Brian is that he didn't want to be, if in the event, he didn't want the company to get sold. He didn't want to be brought back in to run it mm -hmm. or a buyout. He wanted to hands off. I'm done mm -hmm. uh, moving on with my life. So that being said, that made a bigger role for me where I had to do all the private equity calls and all the presentations. Did you guys hire an investment banker or like what, what, what was, what was the process, the process after that conversation? Did, well, and before we get really into the process, okay, like, so, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, so we hired, just to uh, make it clean for the listeners, we hired a banker because you need a banker. Um, and then we, an investment um, banker, not created, broker based on your size. Yep. Best in Baker, right? Um, so I, we, we went uh, West Coast uh, on this because that uh, Steve found one prior to this conversation. And so what they end up, end up doing for us is uh, creating a, a selling deck. We'll aggregate the data, create a data room, uh, put all the right information in there, and then create the selling deck of the best parts of our company that we really do well. And then uh, once we got all that data, which was a long, long 
process. Did you get right? did you due uh, diligence data? Is that what you're saying? Due diligence? Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, you know, if you're planning on selling a company, I would say start thinking a year in advance to add, just to get your mind around getting all this information <laughs> in place. Right. At least. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because and you're going to need soldiers, soldiers who are going to help you do all this work too. Mm-hmm. So besides bringing me in, you're going to bring, I have to bring in maybe your accountant your CFO, your compliance officer, because there's a lot of information that's going to be requested from you that you're not going to know. And I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I, I was above the weeds mm-hmm. and I was an Eagle running the company with joysticks, but uh, down to the granular level, that was the hardest part of getting all that information uh, presented the right way to create this fantastic data deck that told this uh, story on numbers. So that being said, uh, we created this deck. I actually hired a life coach uh, during this process because I was, you know, A, you're nervous, but B, there's a lot online. And C, I wanted to be firing at all cylinders to make sure I'm doing, I'm not nervous. I'm saying the right things. And I'm, because I'm talking to an audience that is different than me. They're private equity. Sophisticated you know, buyers. Um, yeah. And they have, you know, in my mind, you know, they have a little hubris where they think they know more than you of your company, but they had never been in your company. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. It, then the deck went out. This deck went out to uh, the, this, network within their network and then we had um you know let's call it um a dozen people that wanted more information and so then i would be on 75 minutes calls each to speak about the company and what um especially what i'm doing with you today Mm -hmm. um what i did and uh where we can improve and things that i think i can uh we can do in the future to make it a 20 and 30 million dollar company and they would drill with me drill me with questions and I did this um, and ended up getting nine offers that was good enough for the what's called full price offers. The approach we took, everybody, is we did an auction. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't set a price out there what we're going to sell the company for. I was just going to present this company. And it's probably good that I was just kind of a sales guy, uh, sales-minded guy, because I was selling my way through the de- uh, company. <laughs> totally. Outlet. Right? It's the biggest so, sale of your life. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That's how I. That's how I looked at it. I says I want somebody to write a monster check, um, <laughs> and and Steve was probably in the background going, "Yes, right." And Steve only spoke a little bit of the numbers at the very tail end of all these presentations. Um, I can't share exact numbers, but I was able to get sell the company for eleven times our earnings. So I love it. And then. And then one that, that what then it became that company to engage with, and some here's here's a term you know some business owners out there I learned yeah you know letters of intent are nice, but they're really indications of interest. So you should really call them IOIs in my mind mm-hmm. because uh, they, they're they're just spaghetti against the wall. You know when, when a letter of intent becomes real is when you start the due diligence process and you start really getting in the, the discussions. So, you know, at times I felt that the company was going to sell and not going to sell, even though I had all these offers out there. And uh, Steve just said to me, Johnny, if uh, if we don't go and get the, if it doesn't work out, we got a great situation. We'll just keep going along. And so, uh, the due diligence time started, and all of a sudden, um, we had a bunch of analysts and nerds come in and <laughs> pair everything up and <laughs> verify everything and. And uh, seeing uh, if they call that the quality of earnings, you know, mm-hmm. diligence. 
Yeah. Right. So uh, I want everybody to understand that that a, a letter of intent doesn't only means what they're interested in, but it can go south quick based on the quality of earnings. And that uh, it came back um, to support the letter of intent purchase price. And then on December, check this out: December thirty first at nine o'clock. I saved this voicemail. I had to run. Um, I worked my tail off. I thought this deal is not going to close because, you know, it's in the lawyer's hands at that point. And then um, I had to run to the hospital. At, uh, my daughter had hand, foot, and mouth, my 12-year-old. Oh, my God. And I'm sitting there going, I can't wait to drink because <laughs> I'm so stressed out. Yeah. And I get the phone call that we sold the company. Wow. And it's going to close effectively on the 4th. And so it was New Year's Eve night. And I went home made a powerful drink and I didn't even want to go out. We had all these plans to go out with friends. I said, I just want to go sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just drinking. And so the new company took over and that was it. I stayed on for five months after to help them integrate. And, uh, based on, uh, since uh, May, I've been a free agent looking for what's next for John Thielen. That's so cool, man. And I, and I just gotta say like, because I was essentially you in my deal, right? I mean, it was a family business. It was me and my dad and that, I mean, our stories, like we say, are like, you know, even down to the twins are fairly, fairly similar. And, True. and, uh, how did you, so for me, I had whiplash for years. Cause like, we're selling, we're not selling, we're selling, we're not selling. And like my comp plan was not perfectly like clear. I mean, I figured, yeah. I figured out how, how I structured all mine, but like, was it very clear? Was there like some sort of phantom stock or some sort of like flat fee or something that you and Steve discussed? For the success and the integration, I mean, like, how did you mentally? Yeah, deal you know, with that? I, w- I wish it was better. Um, uh, you know, there's at times I look back and you know I wish it was, uh, you know, done a certain way. But when you're a small business doing uh, drinking out of a fire hose, and this would be my first uh, scale of scale and exit, you didn't know what you didn't know, yep. right? And so we just agreed to a financial number yep. um, at the end of the day and a severance and an employment contract yep. for myself. So I was taken care of, yep. but there's other ways to do it. Like one of my friends uh, in town is, is a COO and partner of Mariston Wealth Management. They managed 3.8 billion under management in Minnetonka. And, you know, uh, he, he, he um, mentioned to me all the ways certain executives could be rewarded and exited. Well, you know, next time around maybe, but uh, when you're a small company and you grew it to you know, more of a, um, a regional player, and the, the shareholders, 100% owner, and you, you, you work. You have to find ways to work around that, and find ways that we're both gonna feel good at the end of the day. And it's so funny, so it's, both our sides of the street are clean. It, you know, it's a good way to put it, man. And like, and what I personally dealt with, uh, JT, is like we said to. So when my, I, my dad and I had the conversation, I said, "You're either gonna overpay me, and you're gonna resent me. You're gonna underpay me, and I'm gonna resent you, or we can figure out what we think is fair." <laughs> And, the, yeah, and it was a really hard great, conversation, really hard conversation, yeah. but hey, great, great point you just made. And that's where my, my, my mind mentally was, I didn't want to feel like I took him, took advantage of him. Right. So you might be shocked. Oh, wow. You're, you know, your, your president doesn't want to take advantage of the, of an exit. Like, well, I care more about the person than the guy I went to battle with for the last half a decade than I, I, I am looking at getting one over on him. Mm-hmm. I could have, yeah, of course I could have held it, you know, held, held the feet to the I didn't fire. Have an, I, I didn't have, yeah, right, right. I didn't have a non-compete. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't have a non-compete, and I was the president, and I was installing the company, and I, yeah, I, I was in a great spot. But you know what? At the end of the day, we have one life, and one lease on life, and um, I, I want to have relationships uh, long term, and so I can honestly state that in my heart, I love Steve, I love him, mm-hmm. and that's why I talk to him once every seven to ten days, just about life. Nope. You know, I was down there after the sale, hanging out with him in his, on his new boat. <laughs> hanging out with him <laughs> yeah. in the well, yeah. um, that's, that's a relationship that'll be lifelong. And um, yeah, I, I feel good at the end of the day, and he feels great at the end of the day. <laughs> and uh, onward and upward, right? Yeah, and you, and you, you've got like, and I don't know what your thoughts are for you know for owners that are going through this and they're working with someone like you and they're going to battle. And like, I just you know you'll learn so much and you've got plenty of time to do this multiple times again you know what i mean like and that's the, the kind Hopefully, of the way I, yeah it helps yeah, right i mean you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds but like you know it you learn so much it's like it's do you, i don't know if you're you you thought this way jt when you got done with it it's a total it's like it's like a different game it's a different level of a playing field when you got the private equity and different people up there compared oh, yeah. to what no, normal owners are sitting there trudging away i mean it's they're they're moving numbers and creating value and doing things that you just most people don't understand unless you've been through the whole cycle. Yeah, you know, I I, I yeah I learned a lot in this process even after the sale, where the, the the company who bought us after all the pleasantries were over and once that we got into real conversations, they were like, okay, you know, we paid a premium for you guys and JT, your next initiative is to drive one point five million of true cost out of the business. Oh, that's what happened. So, yeah, and so um, because. You know, this is private equity. They want to uh, make their return, and then they want to flip, right, in five to seven years. So it's it. You know, unfortunately, we I built a good and bad. I learned a lot. I we uh, I built a high touch business model uh, where I took care of our clients, and they weren't that way. And I'm not trying to bag on the new owners, but they had a different mentality. They didn't want high touch, and maybe they wanted those high touch people to go away too. But I know for a fact, as of last week, I know that. Uh, they have had a ne- their, uh, the first negative income year, right? They did not grow; they subtracted. So that's unfortunate. I'm not there anymore, but uh, um, I know some people. Um, you know, what, what moved made you quit? And, did you quit? Did you? Was, uh, I mean, what, what was the past? Of the, there was, the, honestly, there was no role for me there anymore. Yeah. It was more of a mutual decision going, and and they said, "All right, well, you know, uh, actually, I'll give you the reason. The, the um, make it clear." So I, I'm an accountability chart, sales, marketing, IT, the chief compliance officer, operations director, all rolled into me, and I was the integrator. Mm-hmm. Well, those guys care less about EOS model, right? So they said, okay, here's a new, here's a new structure. Sales reports to the VP of sales, which makes sense. IT to the uh, IT director. So what happened is I was down to um, just managing operations. Well... I built a business where that person <laughs> is truly capable of running operations without me yep, yep. telling her, uh, shadowing her. So at the end of the day, I just didn't have yeah, things to do. And so um, we had the talk and I ended up, you know, saying, all right, well, I think it's time for the uh, transition. And they said, yeah, you know, let's, let's work it out. And I was on severance and uh, all that for the last what was Six the difference? Months. What was the difference um, of the different nine offers? <clears throat> was it like some strategic buyers? Was it different private equity firms? And do you have any like what would have got? What did that situation have gone differently based on the different buyers yeah. and offers? 
Well, the best offer was a uh, was it was a SaaS software business model, right? The the second offer was a com- a, a competitor of uh, our um, of the largest screening business in the country. Uh, they would have essentially wiped out our operational team and yep. everybody lost their jobs, really. Um, so that was not so hot. Looking at that one, mm-hmm. it was a nice offer too. Uh, then we had individual people like uh, you know um, son of a billionaire. And mm-hmm. wants a job, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then, um, a lot of private equity, a lot of private equity groups, yep. right? And uh, and then it came down to, to even the smaller private equity groups that wanted to do the SBA loan and said, "Hey, let's work out this." But ours that would have must have been a way different offer the SBA loans compared to the the other ones because I mean that's yeah, right, a, right. a big spread on the different size offers, but yeah, it, so. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, um, it was an interesting process, and uh, and uh, I would I'm glad it it all worked its way out. Now and I look at it like I got the tattoo um, of building and now selling a company. That's good for me, I guess. Um, I'm happy about that. And two, um, I think there's integrators out there. And then there's these 2.0 integrators. I look at myself more as a 2.0, where I have a little bit of visionary in me. But I'm um, also tactically with I have operational discipline mm-hmm. that makes me maybe different from an integ- some integrators out there. So um, I like to believe that I, um, I, I there's a lot of skills that I've um, acquired through this, and here we are. So so what is next now, next happen. for JT? Uh, next for JT is I uh, I've had some private equity groups uh, look at me as um, as an operator one. I've looked at some CRO positions. Um, I've looked at buying some businesses. That seems very interesting. But uh, you know what, Ryan? At the end of the day, what sounds the most interesting is finding another visionary to partner with and uh, put, start doing a, doing a repeat. That actually is what I'm very interested in. But don't know when that would happen. That's hard well, hopefully, to find, right? Hopefully, you're going to get a couple of calls from this this interview because... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I know that there's, you know, with all the, all the presentations and the workshops and stuff that we're doing, like you finding that role is so hard. And like you said, going back to your three, what did you say? It was, uh, you know, you, someone you can relate to, go to battle to and match your core values. And like, it's so important. And if you can do that, like, then look at what you can do. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Looking back, I got Steve Gustafson, who I, built up and he, he got, you know, got a monster check and he's retired. You know, that's a relationship I'll have for the rest of my life. I look back on the Navy SEAL who I built his company up and became an ink company. You know, uh, I was, I we're trading emails this morning because I'm flying to San Diego from the 12th to the 20th. We're trying to work out us hanging out. We chat all the time and now he's got three kids. We're going to go hang out, spend some time together. Cool. Um, and then my, my other shareholder, um, you know, uh, now he's, CEO of Bitly, that's a huge company nationwide. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mark, and Mark Josephson. So Mark Josephson and I, you know, uh, we're always bantering. And, and so I keep my, my visionary direct reports close, as you can see. And, and I look back and I'm sitting here with a glass of wine going, God, I would love to go find another shared vision, uh, visionary to go to battle with and mm-hmm. build something again and scale it. Mm-hmm. So that's, 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 that's where I'm at while I'm looking at all opportunities and I'm looking at business plans and looking at uh, businesses for sale and looking at where can I add value to that too. So 
So that's, that's where awesome. I'm at. So if our listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the, what's the best way? Jonathan Thielen, like Adam Thielen from the Vikings, but we're not related. But uh, my cell phone number is 612-720-2594. Live in Chaska, Victoria. Uh, I have a beautiful wife, three kids, 12 and twin fives. Twin five, uh, twins. Yes. <laughs> this has been <laughs> so fun, JT. Thanks so much for coming on the show. No, I had a fantastic time with you. I uh, look forward to getting together with you very soon. So let's promise that one. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed doing that interview with John. If you're an owner, this is a way for you to get a peer into the conversations that you either have had or need to have with the second in command that is currently on staff. If you do not currently have someone on staff, you can tell from what Steve did with JT that there's huge amounts of return on that investment of paying someone well, getting on the same page, compensating them correctly because It is worth so much money if you're focusing on value creation as it relates to the value of your company instead of focusing on annual income. The conversations that John and I were having are real conversations that you need to have. If you do not do that and you wait till the very end and you try and sneak around your executives to sell the company without them, they are what someone's buying and they have the chance to blow the whole deal up if they aren't amazing, genuine, integrity-filled people like John is. So between John's integrity and how he handled that and how he got on the same page and he went to battle and what happened, you can see that there's an amazing outcome that's possible for you if you, one, talk to the integrator or the second in command, whoever you have, two, if you can go hire them and get them on board to tie them to your ultimate goal. I swear in my life that you can get what you want if you think about it and articulate it correctly. What I found interesting about having some conversations with John afterwards is that they didn't necessarily explore ESOPs or some other things. So if you want to know and you're sitting there as the owner, how do I explore all my options? Check out one of our boot camps. We walked through for two days all the different ways you can figure out what you want from your business and why using the five principles, which is your driver's What are the financial targets? What are the different exit options and how to compare ESOPs, private equity, third parties, the fourth principle of increasing the value of your company and the multiple, tying all the things together that John was talking about, and then the team of advisors. We walked through all that stuff in two days using case studies of two companies that are 10 million in revenue and a million in EBITDA. So you can see between two companies, all the pros and cons of all the different situations as it relates to the five principles. And you don't have to do anything besides ask questions and learn and chat with other owners that are in the group. So with that being said, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Tune in to next week where I talk to Gino Wickman about his new book, Entrepreneurial Leap, and how to identify whether you're truly an entrepreneur that is ready to take the leap. And if you're a current business owner, things that you should be asking yourself to identify if you're doing what you love and how what you are made of and the reasons that you started your business impact what you ultimately want from your company in a growth and exit. Thanks very much for tuning in and I will see you next week.